A few weeks ago, um, I had an opportunity to go backpacking um, with a group of guys. We hope, we, we, it was kind of like the, uh, oh, what's the, the introduction backpacking trip that we want to see done here with some men's ministry uh, for, for years to come. We took a couple of guys to um, Arkansas. That's where we went. And some of you are like, Arkansas. But it was a beautiful time. We got to get away. We left out on a Thursday and came back early on a on a Saturday morning, and man, it was just beautiful. Like I've, I've been to the mountains of New Mexico. I've, I've had a chance to go to Belgium and see country, uh, beautiful countryside in Europe. Like I've had a chance to travel and see different sceneries. Um, but it, there was something else on my bucket list that I wanted to do, and it was to see the, tr- the trees change at the right time. And we had a chance to do that, and we got away and we, we camped and um, backpacked. We really didn't backpack. I, it makes it sound like we hiked like 16 miles. We did two miles. We set up camp. We ate steaks and had a good time. So it was like uh, you have glamping in an RV as you go camping. This was kind of like uh, glamorous backpacking, but we had a good time, and we look forward to doing more of that. But some of the pictures are on the screen. Um, again, it was a few weeks ago, and Nick, we just all loaded up in a car. Nick said, hey, I've done this. There, I've been there five times. Just trust me. And as we're driving, I'm like, I, I can't believe I'm actually trusting Nick. Like, what? I don't, I don't know where we're going. I don't know anything. About three minutes before we got into the National uh, Forest area, he's like, oh, yeah, by the way, you won't have any cell phone service, so you might want to call the, your wife and kids. And I'm like, what? what? But my daughter's getting braces tomorrow. Like, all of these things are going through my mind. You tell me three minutes before I lose service. But that's a whole other story and sermon, I'm sure. But some of these pictures were beautiful. Jared's here uh, getting ready to fly fish, or maybe he's cleaning his his utensils, whatever it was. But go back to, uh, I don't know which one you're on, how many you've showed. There's three of them. But just the the colors of the tree, beautiful scenery. Uh, We swam in the cold, frigid river. Uh, It was a good time. They got to do some fly fishing. I sat in um, in a hammock in red and just had a good time getting away. Maybe you have seen or experienced some of the most beautiful creations uh, all across the world. Maybe you have a chance to travel and you've got to see some of God's handiwork. I want you to think this morning. Think with me, if you will, of all the world, the entirety of the universe. This This is not even really a glimpse of God's beauty. It was, but there is so much out there. The, the fall seasons and the leaves changing and the, the galaxies and the universe. Think of all the stars and all of the moons, the, the planets and the stars and moons that we don't even know about, kids. Like things that are out there that we can't even see visible with our eyes, much less a telescope. Telescope? Is that the right word? Okay, telescope, yeah. I was thinking, I don't know if that's the right word. But I want you to think about all of that. And all of creation, family, points to God. All of creation actually radiates with beauty and glory and honor for our master, our creator. And as pretty as those pictures are, as beautiful as, beautiful as everything that you might have seen in this world, the prettiest sunrise, maybe you've seen a West Texas sunset uh, out, out in beautiful West Texas. Maybe you've seen the highest mountain view in all of the world. Maybe just beautiful pictures. Maybe you haven't had a chance to travel, but you've seen God's beauty and glory. None of that is God's best work. It's not his chief work. It's actually not even his true masterpiece. As beautiful as it is, it's not his true masterpiece. None of that is actually his ultimate workmanship. 
This morning, Paul reminds us that if we are in Christ, if we've been united to, if we've been saved to Christ, if we belong to him as this family of families, then we, Christian brother and sister, are his workmanship. We are his, we belong to him. And we're going to see Paul unpack that a little bit for us this morning. Oh, you want to have some fun this morning looking at God's word? I love, I love where we're headed. I love what Paul's writing to us, uh, to a church then, but also to our culture. Let's have some fun. If you would, look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Paul says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Paul begins, for we. Right, a few weeks ago, we looked at the biggest conjunction, if you will. If you think back to to that uh, Ephesians 4, Ephesians 6, 7, uh, I'm going to walk through that, but we saw the, the greatest conjunction ever muttered by Paul, ever spoken, was but God. Well, here we have the next big one, which is for we. Paul does a great job of reminding of all of us that we, apart from Christ, are dead. You are meaningless apart from Christ. We are dead. You cannot save yourself. We saw that in verse 1 of chapter 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked. In verse 3, he says, We were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. And then in verse 4, we see this beautiful imagery. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love for us that he had for us, he made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. So again, just to, to kind of recap where Paul is. Once dead, now made alive. Once children of wrath, now children of God. This family of families. Once fatherless, now adopted by the good father. Once totally absorbed and powerless, totally self-absorbed about yourself and powerless to the chains of sin, now he calls us, Paul shifts, and he calls us his workmanship. Like how beautiful that is, powerless, now in Christ, you are actually his workmanship. So kiddos, my room this morning, I want you to think about workmanship. I think on your notes, it says, what is another word for workmanship? It's best translated as this, a work of art or a masterpiece. So when Paul says we are his workmanship, it's best translated that we are a work of art or his, Jesus's, God's masterpiece. So family, you are his work of art. Christian here this morning, you are his work of art, his masterpiece. Like I, I want you to feel that today. Augustine says this, he says, we go abroad to wonder at the height of mountains, at the huge waves of the sea, at the long courses of the rivers, at the vast compass of the season, at the circular motion of the stars, and all of them pass by themselves without ever wondering. In all 
of God's creation, as good as those pictures were, as good as seeing all of God's creation before you, touching it and smelling it and just being in the presence of God in all of creation, as beautiful as all of that is, think with me about the gift of life really quick. About the gift that he gives us. The gift of life, church, is the apex of God's creation. Like, think about, think about your body. Your brain communicates. Like, as I'm stepping, I'm not, I'm not consciously reminding myself to step backwards. I'm not even thinking about the cowhide rug that I know I have to lift my left foot up to go backwards or else I'm going to trip over it. I'm not even processing anything. That is how intricate our minds are, that before we speak, before we smell all of the senses in your brain, the, the millions of just molecules that make up everything that you are, how much more precious and beautiful we are in God's eyes than all of the mountainscapes, all of the sunsets, the oceans, the creatures all across the world. The things we can't even see, smell, or know, or taste. And yet God says we are his workmanship. We are his masterpiece. Your body, it pumps blood, it, it makes oxygen, it heals wounds, it does all of the things. Your body is a beautiful example of God's master creation in you. The most complex organism on the face of the planet, you. I'm not looking at my wife, she's not the most complex, but literally we, creation, are the most complex organism that walks the face of this planet. And think about a baby born. Think about our little ones in here. Like it's not just with adults or kids who can wrap their minds around this, right? Like out of the mother's womb, in the mother's womb. The movements, the things that, they, that they're feeling, the things that they're already experiencing, their eyes that are being formed, their heart that's pumping oxygen and blood to where it needs to go uh, for health and, and growth. The milk for, for an infant, the, the things as they come out of their mother's womb, crying, hungry, cold. Man, the gift of life is a beautiful thing. We, you, are his workmanship. We are made in his image. We are stamped by the Father. The wonderful master has formed you. Isaiah 64 says this, Yet, Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are the potter. We all are the work of your hands. As beautiful as all creation is, you are stamped with the image of God. You, brother and sister, are marked by the blood of Christ, the image of of King Jesus. That means your greatest qualities, your strengths, God the Creator gave you all of your quirks, your personality, and even in all of your weakest weaknesses. The Father, the Master Creator of the universe looks at you and says, You're still worth it. In your weakest weaknesses, you are still worth it. 
He looks at his children and he says, I love you no less because of what you do or don't do. I love you the same. I pursue you. I'm for you. Now, I know some of us, sometimes I feel like I preach to myself, but I think it it goes to, to all of us. I know some of us are wrestling with this idea that you actually are worth something. Like you hear me say that as a Christian, you are God's work of art. You are his beautiful masterpiece. But you, we struggle with this because of what we've done or what we've not done or what's been done to you. Like you hear that and you want to get there mentally. You want your heart to get there. Like, yes, I'm God's masterpiece. You want that beautiful truth so bad. But what you've done, not done, or been done to you keeps you from that. If I could just, brother or sister, if that's you this morning, don't ever doubt your worth. You are loved by your creator. That's what Paul just keeps bringing us back to, the good news of the gospel. That in our sin, we were dead but made alive. That God the Father woos you and calls you back time and time again, pursues you, loves you. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that anyone in Christ, right? Like if you grew up in the church, you know this, you are a new creation. The old has come. No, the old has what? The old has gone and the new has come. Or maybe the old translation, the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. What you have done, not done, or been done to you, hear me, does not define you. The mark of the Father is what defines you, created in his image. Paul says you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. That means no one can take that from you. Nothing you do or don't do changes the love of the Father. There's no person too far gone. There's no sheep too far that's, that's wandered too far out of the pasture that he wouldn't leave to go save. And if that's true, then there's no amount of dirtiness or shame that he can't take off of you. Why? Because you're worth it. You are worth it. And this also means even in your rebellion. I mean, the whole book of the Bible is full of his people rebelling against him. And yet he still pursues as their hearts wander. He still draws them back to his goodness and his grace and his mercy. You have Jonah, you have the children of Israel, you have David, you have Paul even himself wonders from this and he still draws them back. He still pursues their heart. Why? Because you are worth it to him. Christian here this morning, you are If you haven't already picked up on this, you are his masterpiece, his work of art, if you've been created in Christ. So that means non-Christians here this morning, if you've never experienced that love, then you still are children of wrath. Pastor Ryan, a couple weeks ago, just talked about how we are, are still dead. If you have not put your faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ, then we are still dead to this world, dead to our sin, but he's still pursuing you. And why do I know that? You're here today. He still loves you. 
He still is wooing your heart back to him. If that's you this morning, he loves you, he's pursuing you, and he desires you to now be his masterpiece. Let him do what only he can do and give you a new heart and breathe new life into you. That's what Paul says, old is gone, the new has come. Paul says we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. But let's recall last week, verse 8 and 9, we saw uh, our salvation. We are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It's God's gift, not from works. Why? So that no one can boast. So the gospel puts an end to any sort of, hear me today, any sort of working to earn God's favor. The gospel puts an end to that. But not, Christian, to all of our effort. Favor of God is freely given. His grace has been lavished to you. But that does not put an end to our effort. What, Christ, what Paul says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Works of guilt, fear, and pride are now replaced with labors of love. We actually join with him, alongside him. We no longer work for God's favor, but we work out of, of this. We work from his favor. So when you work from his favor, there's three attitudes of your heart that actually get exposed. Or, I'm sorry, when you work for his favor. Be very clear. When you are working for God's favor, there's three areas, three attitudes of your heart that get exposed. Number one is a heart full of guilt. If I don't do this, if I don't serve God in this way, then he won't love me. A heart full of guilt. If that's you, we walk around with our head down. There's no joy. We're always tired and we're always beating ourselves up. I didn't do good enough. I didn't, I didn't do enough. And we feel guilty because we're not living for him or maybe we're living uh, for ourselves, whatever that is. There's no joy in that. Constantly tired and beating yourself up, wrestling with the guilt in your heart. But when we work from his grace, this means that we can work out of a spirit of joy and not obligation. A spirit of joy that says, yes, I want to be a part of this. Because of what God's done for me, I'm going to serve him out of a joyful heart. A spirit of, of joy and humility, not obligation. So with a joyful heart, when Paul says we were created uh, in him for his workmanship to do the good works, that means we can serve with a joyful heart because he first served us. Because of that, we now get to serve others. And be joyful about it, not out of obligation. Well, I guess I, I guess I got to do this. But working with a joyful heart, and that produces beautiful fruit, beautiful fruit in your lives. You can serve others joyfully. You can be patient when other people aren't with you. Why? Because he's patient with you. You don't have to feel guilty. Like you can actually serve with a beautiful heart, and it produces beautiful fruit. This is contagious. People, when you serve not from guilt, but from his favor, not for his favor, but from it, people see that. And it's joyful and it's contagious. They see the love 
of Christ. Do you have a heart full of guilt this morning? Maybe you have a heart full of fear. It's another attitude that gets exposed in our hearts. If if you are serving, if you are working for his favor and not from his favor, then that's going to produce fear in your heart. What does that look like? Well, if I don't do this, then I'm going to disappoint him. Maybe you walk around on eggshells your entire life, like, man, I just got to do more. I just got to do more. I, I mean, I, I, got, I got to serve. I got to give. I got to do this. And if I don't do this, then he's, you know, he's going to be, uh, is he going to pull the rug out from underneath me? Am I, am I going to stub my toe? Am I not going to have enough money in the bank? Like, if you walk around on eggshells, my goodness, that's tiring. You're walking around saying, if I don't do this, then he's going to strike me down. That's not the heart he wants from his children. He wants a joyful heart. When we work from his grace, this means we can work from his grace and not for it. It means there's grace for you. He's not looking for perfection. He's looking for a heart of obedience. He's not looking for you to do everything right all the time. He's looking for a heart that says, here I am, a joyful heart of obedience. You're working from his grace that's been freely given to you not trying to work for a position or I have to do this to earn his favor. You're working from his grace. This would look like you serving other people without anything in return. You're serving brothers and sisters. You're serving the church. You're serving your family. When there's dishes in the dish in the, in the sink, you serve your family by doing that and not even looking forward to who says, hey, thanks for doing that. Like that, I know I'm preaching to myself on that, right? Like there's dishes in there and sometimes I go do the dishes with the wrong heart and I'm like, hey, babe, did you, uh, you know, look at the sink. Look at the sink, I'm right here. And she's like, yeah, if you wouldn't have done it, I would have. Like, I mean, there's just that, that's the wrong heart. That's the wrong motive of serving my family. I'm serving for her approval when I've already been approved from God. Serve from a position freely given to us where we can work from a heart that says, hey, his grace has has been lavished on me and because of that, I can serve freely. Serving with nothing in return. The last attitude of the heart. You have guilt, you have fear. The last one that gets exposed is pride. Kind of what I just said. Look at what I've done. When I'm serving for his favor, I'm saying, hey, God, look what I've done. And God's saying, yeah, because I allowed you to do this. We walk around with our chest puffed up. I did this for you, God. Like, look what I've done for you. And then we have this expectation of now return the favor. I did this, God, so now return the favor as if he needed me ever. When we work from his grace, this means we can work in humility, not boasting or prideful. By his love for one another, people will know the love of the Father. Consider others more significant than yourself. Serve because he came to be, to, not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. That's the heart of Jesus. Working in a spirit of humility produces beautiful fruit where you can serve sacrificially, You can serve those different than yourselves. Remember, he's writing to Jews and Gentiles. Like we're going to address the the unity here in just a few chapters. Paul's writing to their hearts saying, hey, 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 you might be different 
and culture, but you are united in Christ. And he's constantly reminding them that God's grace been, has been lavished to all of them. And now you can serve one another from this grace. And that means you can serve others who look different than you, who are the outcast, the one that Jesus actually pursues and invites to the table. Because remember, you were invited to the table as well. That's why Paul says things, so that no one may boast. You see, something significant happens when we look at our lives through this gospel lens, when we are driven by the grace of God. And it's only then can we recognize and step into this beautiful calling that he's placed on our lives, that we, family, are his workmanship, created for good works. You are his beautiful masterpiece, also that's been empowered by the Holy Spirit. The same spirit that rose Christ from the grave empowers you to carry out, why? To carry out the works that he has for you, that he predestined before the foundations of the world. The works he prepared for us to do ahead of time is what Paul says. God actually, hear me this morning, he actually desires to do beautiful things in and through you. Like, let that just sink in. Talked about God's creation and beauty, but he actually desires to do things in and through you. 2 Thessalonians 2, 16 and 17. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who has loved us and has given us eternal encouragement and good hope by grace, may he encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good work and word. Paul in Colossians chapter one, he's praying and he's asking that we would remember who we once were and then remember who God has made us. He says this, that we'd walk worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. Or the author of Hebrews chapter 13 says, Now may the God of peace who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, may he equip you, your, may he equip his workmanship, he equip you with everything good to do his will, working in us what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. The effects of our salvation are now good works. Because of this, we now can work. It's this cause and effect. Because he's done this to us, the effect of that is that we can actually be his workmanship and joyfully serve him in the mission of this church, in the brothers and sisters around us, the people who don't look like us. We can joyfully serve one another for our good and for his glory. Your faith, hear me, as a Christian, is less about you doing anything for God and more about you letting God do everything in and through you. He doesn't need you. Look at what he's created. He spoke all things into existence. But he looked at man and he said, this is good. You are his workmanship. He delights in you and chooses to use you in his beautiful work through the church. And as you delight in him, as that truth sinks in, it overflows into every area of your life. As you love his people, to love and serve, to encourage, to lead, to teach, 
to sacrifice, to lay down your own lives for one another. This is the work of Christ. This is what he did. This is what he calls us into, how we are to model our lives after the life of Jesus. But hear me on the life and ministry of Jesus. He was more concerned with the hearts of people instead of the tasks at hand. I want to get real practical. Let's dig in. People are not tasks. They are image bearers of the king of kings. So if you have somebody that you can serve, we'll we'll get again practical here in a second. They're not tasks for you to look at and to try to fix. They are image bearers of the true king of kings. Now that pushes against everything in our culture. Jesus's ministry was day in and day out about being present with where he was. His ministry was less concerned, hear me, with being efficient and more concerned with being effective. John 21, 25, I love this. Gospel John, he closes out, and there are also many things that Jesus did, which if every one of them were written down, I suppose not even the world itself could contain the books that would be written. Like this is where we're going to feel the pushback right here. That his life, his ministry was more concerned with being efficient or with being, uh, his ministry was less concerned with being efficient and more concerned about being effective. Why do we have pushback there? Maybe, maybe just me. It's because we live in a culture that is constantly going. Be more efficient. Do more. Pack everything into your calendar. Everything into your, what used to be an eight-hour workday. Now work 12 hours. Be more efficient. Produce more things. And if you can't, if you're going to get in the way, you're going to get run over. If you can't adjust, if you can't adapt, if you can't put more stuff on your plate, then you know what? There's other people that can and there's other people that will and you're just going to get pushed down the totem pole and your work is going to suffer and all of this. If your kids aren't involved in 42 different activities or if they're in club this or if they're not caught up on homework with this and the top 10, like I'm tired just talking about it, but that's the culture we live in. Be more efficient. And Jesus says, no, actually, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I just ask you to be led by the Spirit and let me be the one that's more effective. And that is hard. That is a lifelong cost of following Jesus is about being more effective than being more efficient. What's efficient is, hey, uh, James, you got this problem. I'm going to solve it for you. Do this, do this, stop doing that. All is well, you're welcome, and send James on out the door. I fixed him. That's how we treat people. That's how we treat our kids. That's how we parent sometimes. Stop doing this. Do this. The life of ministry that Jesus calls us all into is to be more effective. God doesn't always call us to the most efficient work, but he certainly calls us to the most effective And that is what the Spirit is inviting us into. So how do we do that? Where do we begin? We learn to live a life as the Spirit leads. Three simple things. Where do you live? Whatever neighborhood, your neighbors around you. Who are your neighbors? 
serve them, love them, know them. Allow the Spirit to use you for His good works. Rake the leaves of your elderly neighbor. 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 Love them. Serve them and care for them. Where you live, who are your neighbors? Simply put, where do you play? Who are you coaching? I'm a terrible coach, all right? James Mullins and I coach seven on seven together, uh, and it's laughable. We won yesterday, though. We're two and two. So there, take that. Um, I don't coach because I'm a good coach. I coach because convictionally I think, hey, I might have an opportunity here to love on some kids who need Jesus and also connect with their parents. It's a missional thing that I've just committed to. Cody pushes back, all right? But we, we work through that. We work through that. Uh, I don't say yes to everything, but it really is. It's something that, that I do, that we do. We enter into that and like, hey, who can we love on? That's, that's somewhere where we play. Who are you coaching? What coffee shop do you frequent? Who's the people that you constantly see? Do you go to serve? I know we have some people in here that love going to serve. Who's the barista? Do you know her name? Do you know what's happening in people's lives around you where you play? What restaurants do you keep going back to? What do you enjoy doing? What CrossFit gym or what workout facility do you go to that you see the same people? And that you can just walk in, be led by the Spirit and say, Spirit, here I am. Do a work in me and then through me and see what God has for you. Where you live, where you play, and then where do you work? Who's that coworker that you constantly see, that you're on the Zoom call with all the time, every week, and you, you, it's just a simple inlet. Spirit, would you just lead me in this conversation? I don't know what to say. Would you help me, Spirit? I believe I'm your workmanship, but would you help me walk into this great adventure? Who do you keep eating lunch with at work? You know, there's people... As a pastor, sometimes I feel like everybody puts the weight on, if I could just get my friend in the door, then, you know, he can do his thing from the stage. We can, he can hear the, the good news as Matt preaches or, or whatever. But do you realize there's people I'll never be able to speak life into? Like, there, there's people that I will never be able to relate with. I don't know them. I'm just another dude in their eyes that probably in their eyes are just thinking about the institution of the church and he's the next guy that's going to fall and stumble. And why would they put their faith in me? I don't want them to. I want you to help them put their faith in King Jesus. I am mere man and I will fail, but Jesus never will. And you have an opportunity where you live, where you work and where you play to point people every day to Jesus. And you can do that. You can do that because the same power that rose Jesus from the grave is in you. And that's what he's calling us into. Think less about efficiency and more about effectiveness. Y'all, we've been invited into this. We've been created for this. We've been given the power of the Holy Spirit. Walk in it. There's no, I, I could have given you 97 different things to do today and say, hey, do these things and all will be great. I think it's just one simple thing. Every day, delight in him, Father, Son, and Spirit. And as you do that, that's called spiritual disciplines. Read the word, pray the word, be in the word. As you do more of that, guess what will overflow in your life? Where you work, where you play, and where you live. Jesus. Jesus will overflow in your heart. Overflow into your children's lives. 
overflow into your coworkers. It will be a natural rhythm. If you delight in him, that's what's going to overflow in your heart. Father, would you uh, speak to us this morning? Would you continue to continue to do what only you can do? Work in our hearts. Open up our eyes to the goodness of your word. And maybe it's, it's for the first time realizing that beautiful truth that we actually are yours. Maybe we've been so focused on earning your favor. We're a Christian, but we've been so focused or, or, or guilt-stricken or, or wrestling with shame or approval that, that we can actually just breathe in this goodness that we are your, yours and you delight in us. So much so that you used Paul to say we're your work of art, masterpiece, creation, workmanship. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you speak life into us and not death, not condemnation, not you'll never measure up, not you'll never be good enough, not you, you need to work harder or try more. You speak genuine life into our souls and you wake our weary hearts up and you give us life and you breathe life into our lungs for your glory so that others might see this, that we would be a joy-filled body of believers, a family who, who actually loves and delights in you, a family who serves one another. Lord, I pray that we, uh, a couple weeks ago, prayed that we would be uh, a family, a church, known for how we honor one another. I pray that we would be a church for, for our, uh, known for our compelling community that we rally around one another, we serve one another, we point brothers and sisters to Christ. We actually are sent out here from here with a benediction. We extend our hands. That's just a representation of us so that mentally we say, yes, I'm receiving this word that you, God, have gone before us. You've equipped us for every good work. You've empowered us by your Holy Spirit. You've called us into this grand adventure, this beautiful life full of adventure. Would we stop sitting on our hands? Would we wake up? Would we realize that we will never be enough, but you are more than enough and that you just, you empower this family, Lord. Breathe life into us as we sing these songs. Would you stir in our hearts? Would we believe what we're singing? Would our children see and hear the good news. As we go to our families this week and our friends, would you empower us, Lord, to point them to you, to serve sacrificially, which means chances are we might clean the table and the dishes and never get thanked, but we can do that out of a joyful heart because you never got thanked when you went to the cross. You did it willingly and said, yes, I will do this, Father, I will do this. That we have that same attitude in our hearts. Joyful obedience, overflowing into every area of our life. In Jesus' name, amen.